the five pillars of the Belt and Road, policy coordination, facilities connectivity, unimpeded trade, financial integration and people-to-people -people exchanges are intrinsically linked to the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. This is a short segment of a speech from UN President António Guterres on the Belt and Road Initiative. In this episode, we'll be discussing what is the Belt and Road, its historical links, and European perspectives on this huge initiative. Though, as it is a really big, ambitious project, it will be impossible to give the needed attention to specific projects. But we hope this episode is at least a good introduction to the topic. Exactly. And um, so I guess we can start by saying that the Belt and Road Initiative was launched in 2013 and announced by the Chinese president uh, Xi Jinping. And this initiative is actually the major Chinese economic, political and diplomatic play in decades. Mm -hmm. And it's about enhancing the connectivity of China with other countries and continents. Yes, part of the going out Chinese policy. Exactly. But the Belt and Road Initiative is something, however, that cannot be labeled as completely new because China has always tried to recreate the so-called connectivity with Europe, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, so what they have in mind is going back in history, so to say, and recreate the traditional Silk Road, which was used by Marco Polo to reach China and enter into connection with the Chinese Empire. Yeah, there's the symbolism behind the name. The plan was initially named One Belt and One Road in the light of the two parts of the project, the belt, which recreates the whole Silk Road land route, and the road, which is not actually a road, but a route through various oceans. China's initiative mm -hmm. aims at building infrastructure along these two parts and forming corridors uh, exactly. in these two fronts. Yeah. Exactly. And that is a huge investment, even for China. The thing is that there are some preconditions to carry out the Belt and Road Initiative. I would say that two major ones are the infrastructures it requires, and on the one hand, and on the other, the investment for the same. And with infrastructures, here we mean that China aims at and has been constructing high-speed railways, uh, highways, increasing its naval fleet and along different areas, in fact. Mm, yeah, I read about their largest project so far, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, which is estimated to cost $60 billion. Uh, and oh. also Bangladesh has become a big center of attraction, despite being a relatively small country in size. Uh, basically, under the BRI, China is proposing a collection of projects that connects China with other parts of the world. In the case of uh, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, it connects China to the Arabian Sea. And in the case of the China and Bangladesh, Myanmar and India Corridor, mm -hmm. it connects all of those four countries. Yeah, that's right. And also, one of the locations in which the BRI was... Firstly mentioned was Kazakhstan, mm -hmm. 
And there's a reason for that, because Kazakhstan and China had already cooperated in past in the past in uh, infrastructure to facilitate trade between them. And actually, three of the four China Central Asia gas pipelines pass through through Kazakhstan. And also Pakistan is very relevant here as well, because as you said, Pakistan opens up new routes to the resource-rich Middle East, as we know it, via the Arabia Sea. Yeah, yeah. for China, getting access to resources is crucial for their economy. Yeah, and that's why they they pick the countries they want to connect with in such a precise uh, manner. And it's so relevant for them to build corridors that facilitate trade of many items, including resources, as we said. Mm. And what China has at home, of course, would not be enough to feed its production. Mm, yeah, but you are going to mention the investment component as well, right? Uh, yes, I was already, sorry, I was already <laughs> deviating from my point. Thank you so much. Um, yes, China is doing something, uh, this huge investment plan that is quite impossible to be funded if we think about it. Because to fund this project, China using is using the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, in short, AIIB. And although this bank has no official link to the Belt and Road Initiative and it is a multilateral institution, it has been used quite a lot as a source of funding for projects in the BRI partner countries. Mm. And um, another organization, um, among others, is the Silk Road Fund, which differently is totally integrated within the Belt and Road Initiative and uses mostly Chinese capital. It invests in business rather than lending money, I mean. Mm. Though the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank is still the most often referred to, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has nevertheless been a very important institution linked to the BRI. And it's also been referred to by some as the Asian version of the International Monetary Fund. Obviously, the US didn't see it in a very positive light, the creation of the this infrastructure bank. As expected. Yeah. yeah. But regardless uh, of the US's hopes and the hopes of the Obama administration that its allies would not join the Asian Infrastructure and Investment Bank, countries like the UK, Germany, France did regardless. Yeah, and many others uh, as well afterwards. And nevertheless, the BRI did not come without controversy as we know it, right? Definitely. One of the most common criticisms of this initiative is the lack of transparency around specific projects and the motivations behind them. The European Union has some concerns around it too, of course, as a major regulatory power. Yeah, uh, some countries have indeed their reservations in when it comes to the BRI. There are some complaints, for instance, on the lack of reliable information for instance, because mm -hmm. the BRI is still a very broad and large project. And there are also concerns about how much it is increasing China's economic and political leverage. And it so happens that China has made investment deals with some countries that 
at the end of the day, we're not able to pay back to China. You probably mm. saw this example as well, but this is what happened in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Uh, that had a vulnerable economy, so to say, and because it could not pay back in China, uh, pay back China from its investments there, mm. it gave it away one port um, that is very important for Chinese trade. Mm -hmm. And do you do you does have these ex examples like this in mind? And do you does have good relations with China? But it is also aware that a dissimilar situation could happen to them. You know? yeah, yeah. In large, uh, the concerns come from the fact that the BRI projects are built using uh, low interest loans rather than being simply aid grants. Yeah. And as you said before, the characteristics of the binding contracts are not very clear for external observers. So for us too. Um, yeah. <laughs> The U.S. its eyes on what happens in the different parts of the EU because different interactions with China are happening in different parts. In Eastern European countries and the Balkans, um, the BRI funds might be a way to increase Chinese influence in th those parts of the European continent, which are um, in many cases in, the, in a way to become European Union members. And for the member states' interactions with China and cooperation with BRI, the EU, EU is trying to build a community approach towards cooperation with BRI in a way as a response to some member states unilaterally signing provisional agreements of cooperation with China. Yeah, and... Uh... I mean, China has been accused of conducting a so-called debt trap diplomacy, mm. uh, which is quite controversial. And the challenge, I guess, for the EU is to make, as you said, a cohesive approach mm -hmm. uh, toward the BRI. The thing is, Chinese investment in Europe is helpful and is necessary. But um, it's also important to understand its nature and implications in the framework of the BRI. Definitely. And that's actually why the US agreed to adopt a framework for screening foreign direct investment from third countries in general, actually, to make sure that before a foreign investment comes, it will not be detrimental to the EU. Yes, that's a very important step in dealing with the concern that host countries for Belt and Road Initiative projects will not be able to pay back the loans that had been given to them, which is in a way even more relevant is here with the global slowdown created by COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the host countries have been forced to either delay or cancel BRI projects. Actually, official documents from the Chinese government say that 20% of the BRI projects have been affected by COVID. Uh, in its turn, China has also tried to address the risks that come with this hard infrastructure-based BRI by focusing on other types of infrastructure projects in digital and health sectors. For instance, to the digital Silk Road was already proposed back in 2015. And in a way, this could help to rejuvenate interest in the BRI, but <laughs> that's a topic to explore more <laughs> in the future, perhaps. Well, what the future holds in that sense, we never know. Yeah, we <laughs> never know. 
Thank you, listeners, for joining us today once again. And see you on the next I Thought About It. 